Joseph in the pit underground still foresaw a time when he would help his brothers, and he ultimately chose to reject revenge. Begin in the underground saw the Irgun being persecuted and foresaw a time when Jews would fight for the Holy Land together and chose to reject revenge, and thus the future of the Jewish state was saved. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 181, For Want of a Shoe, I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. It is rare that a liturgical piece of Jewish prayer connects us thematically with the first, second, and third Jewish commonwealths. But this can indeed be said about Ela Ezkara. These I shall remember, a medieval composition describing the Asara Harugei Malchut, ten rabbinic sages tortured and executed by the Romans during the age of the temple's destruction and the persecution of Hadrian that followed. This terrifying poem, recited by Ashkenazi Jews on Yom Kippur, describes the Roman emperor filling his house with pairs of shoes and showing the shoes to one of the rabbis. The emperor then refers the rabbi to the punishment listed in the Torah for one engaged in kidnapping and informs the rabbis that they, ten of them, must suffer for the crimes of the ten sons of Jacob who kidnapped and sold their brother Joseph for pairs of shoes. The poem gives us, of course, not a literal story, but rather a symbolic linking of the Joseph tale and the Jewish defeat at the hands of the Romans, a connection that we must seek to understand. And while the Torah, of course, makes no mention of footwear of any kind in the Joseph saga, it is clear that this medieval poetic piece is inspired by a prophetic passage appended to the Joseph story by Jewish tradition, one which links one of the first stories of Israelite hatred of brother against brother to the vision of a prophet from Tekoa, whose words we study today. The book of Amos, or Amos, as it is often pronounced in English, opens with a single sentence that gives us an amazing amount of information. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Yeravam, the son of Yoash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. The reference here to the earthquake may allow us to precisely place Amos' prophecies. Michael Fishbane writes, According to the superscription of the book that bears his name, Amos is reported to have prophesied in the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel and King Uzziah of Judah, two years before the earthquake. This reference has been linked to a quake from around 760 BCE, attested in stratum 6 of the excavation at Chatzor. The same event was recalled over 200 years later by the prophet Zechariah. Fishbane fascinatingly adds that, quote, another point bearing on the dating of the book of Amos has to do with the solar eclipse recorded in ancient sources for 15 June 763 BCE. This date correlates remarkably with the onset of Amos' prophecies two years after the earthquake. Such an event, or an earlier one in 784 BCE, may explain the prophet's recurrent imagery of a doomsday of total darkness. And in that day, declares my Lord God, I will make the sun set at noon. I will darken the earth on a sunny day. End quote. This, then, is the historical dating. In terms of Amos's background, we are informed in the first sentence of only two facts, but these two are more than we are often given about a prophet's past. Amos, we are told, was a herdsman or a shepherd of some sort, or perhaps a breeder of livestock and he was from Tekoa. Both of these facts are noteworthy, and we must understand why. As Amos emphasizes himself, he did not seek to be a seer. And, of course, the same could be said about Moses, who, as a shepherd, encountered the vision of the burning bush, and his life was changed forever. The second fact is even more noteworthy. Tekoa, as many understand it, is a location in Judah, yet Amos's warnings will largely be targeted toward Israelites 
that live in the northern kingdom of Israel. We must imagine in our mind's eye a Judean shepherd suddenly sent by the Almighty into the streets of one of the most important cities in the northern kingdom. The seer's opening salvo is based on a theme of threes and fours in which nation after nation is rhetorically assaulted, each committing sin after sin, leading up to the fourth. Thus, Amos chapter 1, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send the fire into the house of Chazal, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the bar of Damascus. Again, verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. And so on. Eventually the prophet turns to the northern kingdom of Israel. Chapter 2, verse 6. Listen very carefully to the words. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Much ink has been spilled in order to explain this verse. It is clear that the prophet is criticizing crimes of brother against brother, but what exactly is the reference to selling the righteous for silver, and the poor, or defenseless perhaps, for a pair of shoes? What is the sale of shoes? Who is the righteous person or people, the tzaddik to which Amos refers? Understood simply, this is a prophetic accusation of oppression and corruption. But this passage in Amos is read every Jewish year as the haftarah, following the Torah portion known as Vayeshev, wherein we describe the brother's kidnapping of Joseph and selling him into slavery. Amos is linked to this account because the rabbis applied both clauses of Amos' statement to the Joseph tale. Joseph was the righteous man sold. Joseph was bartered for pairs of shoes. As modern scholars have noted, though references to shoes does not appear in the biblical story of Joseph, a connection to footwear has a long pedigree in the Midrash according to which the ten brothers sold Joseph for twenty silver coins and bought ten pairs of shoes for two coins each. It is a description of horrific cruelty of kin against kin and done heartlessly with utilitarian gain. In other words, whereas Amos, simply understood, is criticizing abuse of the unfortunate, for the rabbis here the crime is sinat chinam, baseless hatred of brother against brother, Israelite against Israelite. And Amos is referencing the crime against Joseph and thereby informing those that live in the northern kingdom of Israel that they have failed to learn from the story of Joseph and his brethren. If this is the case, then other aspects of Amos' book reveal themselves to be extremely resonant. After many chapters of remonstrance against the immorality of Israel, Amos describes an encounter with a sinful priest in Bethel. Recall that Jeroboam I in order to dissuade his subjects in the north from going to Jerusalem in the temple, created temples of his own with golden calves. One of these temples was in Bethel, and now, during the reign of Jeroboam II, a priest who ministers therein warns the prophet Amos to get out of Dodge, because in issuing prophetic decrees of destruction upon the northern kingdom, he is endangering himself, especially in a city with a temple that is frequented by the king. Chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amatzia the priest of Bethel sent to Yeravam the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Yeravam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. 
Also Amatia said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the king's court. Then answered Amos and said to Amatia, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Thus, if Amos is from Judah and is taken by God to prophesy in the northern kingdom of Israel, we can then understand the symbolic power of this small interlude. As we have previously discussed, it was Judah himself who had suggested selling Joseph and profiting from the sale. But it was also Judah who ultimately emerged as the embodiment of penitent Israelite unity, sacrificing himself for Benjamin. Thus Amos, as it were, comes to Israel as a representative of Judah, speaking for solidarity of brother with brother. Meanwhile, the most prominent tribe of the northern kingdom is Ephraim, son of Joseph. Scholars have noted that if the rabbis saw a reference to Joseph in Amos' description of selling a tzaddik, a righteous person, for silver, it is at least in part because Joseph was known by the rabbis as Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the Righteous One. And it would seem that an essential aspect of this righteousness was Joseph's superhuman act of forgiveness of the brothers who had abused him so. Thus, Amos, embodiment of Judah, tells the children of Joseph that in hatred of brother for brother they had abandoned their patrimony. And then the sinful priest of that region tells Amos the prophet, with weighted words, go back to Judah. A symbol, it would seem, of the failure of the northern kingdom to learn of the brotherly unity achieved by Judah and Joseph. Read through the eyes of the rabbis, Amos became a clarion call to Jews for generations. And therefore, the passage about selling the righteous for silver is read as the Haftarah every year on the Shabbat when we describe the story of Joseph and his brothers in order to inspire us to learn the lessons of that account in Genesis, to warn us of the dangers of hatred between Jew and Jew. It is with this in mind that the medieval prayer and poem about the martyrs of the Second Temple period can be understood. If the poem links the death of the rabbis at the hands of the Romans to the sins of Joseph's brothers against their kin, it is, of course, not to blame the rabbis themselves, but to describe how Jerusalem fell. The Romans conquered Jerusalem, as we have seen, because its Jews did not stay united, because the Jews of Jerusalem were killing each other within the city, even as they fought the Romans without. Amos prophesied about shoes in the first commonwealth, and the second commonwealth fell because Jews failed to learn the lesson of Joseph and his brothers, because when they ought to have been seeking the independence of Israel, they instead focused on attacking each other. Thus does Amos and the medieval poem read on Yom Kippur relate as well to the events leading up to the founding of the third Jewish commonwealth. It was in 1944 that the Haganah partnered with the British in arresting members of the Irgun. The operation known as the Saison, or Season, had been initiated by the British in response to actions of an entirely different group known as Lehi, but the Haganah's actions were focused on the Irgun, who were their political rivals. Thus, the Haganah helped round up their fellow Jews and indeed even participated in brutal interrogation of those that had been captured. We can well understand, therefore, the desire for revenge that may have welled up within the hearts of the members of the Irgun, but, just as he would later on the Altalena, the leader of the Irgun ordered his soldiers not to engage in any vengeance, and we must understand why. The man who never forgot praying with his father on Yom Kippur, Menachem Begin, well understood 
the lessons of that poem. And as he explains in his memoir, he remembered the lessons of Jewish history, how the revolt against the Romans failed, and how it was undone by hatred. To put it slightly differently, Menachem Begin understood how, as it were, for want of a shoe, the Jewish state was lost. This is why, like Joseph of old, Begin chose not to take revenge on his brothers. In his memoir, Begin wrote as follows, The anguish of those kidnapped was carried to us from the depths. How long would we tolerate these cruelties? Life in the underground enforces seclusion, and seclusion makes deep thinking possible. In such conditions, you are able to view matters not in their transitory perspective, but, as the lovers of classical phrases would say, subspecie aeternitatis. We needed such a perspective in those days of severe trial. A deep cellar in circumstances becomes an elevated watchtower. End quote. Begin ordered his Irgun soldiers not to avenge their comrades against the Haganah, because they were all Jews. He ordered, in other words, to learn from the past. For the Irgun soldiers to obey this order surely cut against understandable urges and instincts, but obey this order they did. And Begin wrote as follows to explain why. Quote, they were moved by faith, a profound faith that believed the day was not far distant when all the armed camps in Israel would stand and fight shoulder to shoulder against the oppressor. In that hope, and with that faith, we said, it was worthwhile enduring grievous suffering. We dared not destroy our faith by opening a bloody abyss between those who were still brothers and might yet become comrades in arms. We saw our people in Europe in the endless procession of death. We saw the ghettos going up in flames. We saw the oppressor plotting against us all. And from down the corridors of history, we heard the echo of those other wars, the cursed internecine wars in dying Jerusalem 19 centuries before. The underground cellar is a high watchtower. End quote. Joseph in the pit underground still foresaw a time when he would help his brothers, and he ultimately chose to reject revenge. Begin in the underground saw the Irgun being persecuted and foresaw a time when Jews would fight for the Holy Land together and chose to reject revenge, and thus the future of the Jewish state was saved. The story of Joseph and his brothers, magnified in Midrashic readings of the prophecies of Amos, warns us against repeating the age-old sin of hatred of brother for brother. This was a warning the Jewish people did not always heed. It was, however, a warning heeded by a leader of modern Israel. And that is part of why there is a flourishing Jewish state to this day. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.